Hi, I'm Allison. And I'm Taylor. And together, we're the Anxiety Chicks. Each week, we will dive deep into a different topic about anxiety and the real-life experiences we all go through, while giving you all the top tools and tips you need for your journey to recovery. Our degrees may say therapist and dietitian, but together, we are just real chicks on our own healing journeys, too. Join us as we take you from panic to power and reduce the stigma of mental health. Remember, you're never alone and we're all in this together. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Anxiety Chicks podcast. I'm Allison Sepinara. And you're probably waiting for Taylor to say, and I'm Taylor. But today, I actually have a really special guest with me. Um, and Taylor is um, just taking uh, time off this week. I had to spend time with my dad last week um, because he's not doing well. So she kind of took the reins for me last week, which was really nice. And I wanted to get a special guest on um, instead of just you guys having to listen to just me again because I know you love that. Just kidding. Um, so today's topic is going to be kind of heavy. I just want to give a trigger warning to anybody who's who may be listening that we are going to talk about death. We're going to talk about grief. Um, we're going to talk about infertility. And it's just going to be a heavy topic. So if you feel like you really can't um, be in that mindset right now, then do not listen. Listen to the other amazing 65 episodes that we have. Um, but try and come back to this if you can at some point because when you're feeling a little bit more um in the mindset of it because it's going to be a great great healing episode. So without further ado, I want to introduce someone that's very special to me and she's not only an incredible celebrity journalist in um you still are, even though she hasn't really been in the. I'm, I'm, we're on video, so I'm looking at her, so I'm talking to her. Um, but she is one of my best friends, and we've known each other for like 25 years at this point, maybe 20, 20 25 years. So, hi, Dot, which yeah. is what I call her. Um, but her name's Dorothy Cassisari. Sim- Dorothy Simone. Wait, Dorothy Cassisari Simone. Wait, what do they do? Dorothy Simone Cassisari? No, I don't know. Is the first Dorothy Cassisari Simone. Okay. So I know her as Dorothy Cassisari from high school. We met the first day at volleyball practice, which I never made the team because I'm so unathletic. Dorothy was great. Um, and we've been best friends ever since. And we've gone through so many different ups and downs together and a lot of losses together. And so she's been g- going through something very, very difficult the past three years. And I thought it would be so great for her to kind of talk a little bit about her journey because the grief is real. But um, why don't you introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a little bit about you before you kind of get into the deep stuff. Oh, well, Ali, thank you so much for having me on this incredible podcast. I am so unbelievably proud of everything that you're doing and everything that you're offering people. I know that you are changing so many lives. Oh, I mean, yeah, and by the second. No, you are, Allie. You are. No, and you've, always, you've always had a huge impact on my life. I've always considered you to be family. Um, yes. We definitely have been through so much together. And mm. I feel like you have definitely shaped the person that I am and probably vice versa to some extent, right? Because we've, we've always just been so close. Yeah. Um, I am grateful to be here. I So a little bit about me. I Like you said, I started out in celebrity journalism. I had a long journalism career, TV career. I used to appear on the Wendy Williams show and E! News and CNN and Headline News and Access Hollywood talking about celebrities. Then I moved on to representing consumer brands like Godiva and Dove and Avino and um, Mandavi Wine, things like that. And I uh, basically went on TV shows around the country to talk about gifts that you can give mom for Mother's Day or whatever it might be, different themed uh, segments. And then I had my own TV talk show called Celebrity Corner, which Allie, you were so sweet and you came and sat in the live studio audience. Yes. It was very Um, exciting. We had a lot of fun with that. And uh, I basically had my son six years ago, Nicholas. He's six years old now and he is the absolute love of my life. literally the cutest kid ever. And he loves Aunt Allie so much. Um, so cute. And I kind of took a break from doing all of that 
uh, to be a mom. We moved from, I lived in New York City for 13 years. We moved to Greenwich, Connecticut five years ago. And I've been taking the time to be a suburban mom in Connecticut. Can I just tell you guys that I, my 20s, Dorothy and I, so I talk a lot about my 20s in this podcast and how I was such a degenerate and how I drank way too much. And Dorothy was a part of that. Not that she was as much as a degenerate as me. Yes, I was. Yes, I was. Yes. A lot of those stories that I talk about and how I, you know, I I laugh about it. It is a serious matter because I definitely was going through a lot of difficult things at that point in my life. And um, just like drinking way too much and just like not knowing who I was. And so Dorothy was very involved in that part of my life. And I mean, we, we had our ups and downs at that point. And, um, but the one thing that was always so fun to me was that when she lived in New York city in that part of our lives, and we literally, I just remember we used to meet all these celebrities. And I just remember one time we were, um, and we will get to the topic soon, you guys, I promise. But I remember just one time we were like at some bar and, um, I was sitting down in like this whatever lounge area and someone was like sitting on top of me and it was Nikki Hilton. Wasn't it Nikki Hilton? Yes. Yes. And, and I was like, excuse me. Yeah. I was like, you're like sitting. I was like, who is this? She's literally wasted on top of me. And it was Nikki Hilton. And I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm sorry. Can you just move a little bit? I was trying to be really nice. I don't think she was like wasted. She was just being, you know, she wasn't really, yeah. And she wasn't was really out, like out for the night respecting my space but uh it was just so that's just one example nikki hilton and jessica simpson right it was the maritime hotel in the meatpacking (laughs) district and jessica simpson turned up uh maybe 10 minutes after that nikki hilton episode um and we were right there with them that was much of our life it was like a different life back then but dorothy has been my friend that has been so exciting and new york city you know I think everyone at some point, if you can somehow visit New York City um, or be so lucky to live there in your 20s, it could be amazing. Um, But yeah, yeah, we've just been through so much together. And so I know that you – so let's kind of get into it a little bit because you live in a beautiful house. You live in a great area with some amazing people and supports in your area and, you know – people would kind of look at your life and probably think like, oh my gosh, she has it all. She has this beautiful house in Connecticut. She has a loving husband. She has a beautiful son. And, you know, she lived in New York and, you know, she's just involved in so many things in her, you know, area and stuff like this. But there's so much that's happened to you. And while, yes, you're so grateful for all of those things, of course, you know, you don't take them for granted. Um, Things are so much deeper and there's a lot of grief that's been happening to you throughout your life in the last couple of years. And so tell yes. us, like, I don't know where you want to start, where you feel comfortable starting, but. March of 2019, my entire world uh, cracked wide open in the most heart-wrenching, horrific way that I could have imagined. Um, I had a very easy time and and I'm going to talk about my fertility journey, but not not in such in-depth because I want people that are not going through any kind of fertility struggles to understand how this journey relates to them and relates yeah. to any kind of grief that they're experiencing because grief yeah. is so universal. Even yeah. though people feel so alone the vast majority of the time with their grief and, and with loss, the irony is that it's it's the most universal thing that is shared by mm-hmm. everybody in some capacity. So I had a very easy time getting pregnant with my son, Nicholas. I was 34 years old at the time, and I was extremely grateful for that because I had seen several of my friends go through IVF and the the very difficult path that that takes a woman on and and a couple on. Mm -hmm. Um, And when we were trying for our second child... It took a few months and I was getting a little bit concerned because I just knew how treacherous that fertility path could be. And I got pregnant and was we were very excited. We were having another boy. And my son was three at the time. And Allie, you know my son, Nicholas. He's really a very kind of, there's a lot of depth to this child. It, you would think 
most people think, oh, kids are resilient. They get over things. They forget things. Nothing really kind of lands with them. And, and that's not true about children, but it's definitely not true about Nicholas. So this really landed with Nicholas at the very ripe age of three years old that he had this brother coming and he was so excited about it, went to school. It was the first thing that he told his friend's mom. I mean, he really connected mm-hmm. with this um, anticipation of this event. We went away on vacation a week before my anatomy scan. We took pictures on the beach with Nicholas wearing a big brother t-shirt and uh, holding pictures of the ultrasound. And that, we was were... gonna, that was going to be like what you were going to post yes. for people to see. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I still have not shared those photos, but perhaps someday I will. Yeah. Because they are really beautiful, but also very bittersweet. Heart-wrenching. Makes, yeah. I'm sure. Yeah. Makes me very choked up to even just think about that moment in our family where we were just so full of joy and gratitude and we had so much coming. And Can I I just mention that you're, you know, I'm, I think it's so incredible that you're sharing this story because it's so, um, you know, grief doesn't have a time limit, you know? So like you're mentioning the story from three years ago. And you're still in this moment of like having these emotions. It brings you back to it, right? Like there is no timeline for grief, just so you know that. So anyone listening, if you feel like you have people, it's like, oh my gosh, it's been like 10 years. Why, you know, like, why are you, okay, are you feeling any better? You know, like it's been this long. No, do not let anyone minimize that, you know? Yeah. You you grief just it is universal and it has no time limit. So thank I can you for see. saying that. Yeah. Yep. Thank you for saying that. It's definitely something that hopefully we'll be able to talk more about, you know, people and how people differently deal with grief because there have been yeah. a lot of people, very close people to me, who have not given me that grace and have not been able to understand yeah. that grief is grief is a lifelong journey. Yeah. It happens to all of us and it's lifelong. It's not something yeah. that just, okay, I'm done. I, I, I've resolved my grief. I'm, yeah. I'm over it now. Right. It comes and goes. Um, right. But yeah. so, so to, to speed up the story, yeah. I, I went in for my anatomy scan and I got the worst possible news that I could have ever imagined. Hi, healers. Allison here. So I want to talk to y'all a little bit about one of our new sponsors, BetterHelp. I'm so excited to tell you about this online counseling platform because as a licensed therapist, I'm a huge advocate of mental health awareness and truly believe in providing affordable counseling services to anyone, anywhere. Let's face it, there's so many areas in the United States and around the world that can make it so difficult to find affordable counseling. And especially if you live in a more rural area, it can be really hard to find a counselor, which is why I love this online platform. BetterHelp is an online mental health healing platform that provides online counseling and matches you with your own licensed professional therapist. It's not a crisis line. It's not self-help. It's a professional counseling service done securely online and is available worldwide. What's even better is that there are a number of different licensed counselors who specialize in all different areas of mental health. BetterHelp makes it so easy to log onto your account at any time and contact your therapist directly. You'll get timely and thoughtful responses and can schedule as many weekly video or phone sessions as you would like. As a therapist, I know that it's not always possible to find the right therapist for your needs, especially the very first time. So BetterHelp has actually made it so easy to facilitate great therapeutic matches. And if you don't find a connection with your first counselor, there's absolutely no charge to change counselors if you ever need to. How amazing is that? And if you find that you're struggling financially, they also have financial aid available. So we have a special offer for all Anxiety Chick listeners today. Sign up now and receive 10% off your first month. Just visit betterhelp.com slash the anxiety chicks. That's betterhelp, H-E-L-P slash the anxiety chicks and join over 500,000 people who are taking charge of healing their mental health with an experienced counselor today. And the anatomy scan went by for about 20 minutes with everything fine. And then towards the end, uh, there was there seemed to be a problem. And it was a very, very difficult moment in my life. Um, we found out that the babies, the baby had a very, very severe congenital heart defect and disease. Um, 
We didn't know how severe it really was until later that day when we went to Columbia um, to meet with a specialist. But the 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 issue with his heart was caused by a micro deletion, a random micro deletion that happened at some point in creating, you know, kind of like the instruction manual for a human, like how we are all built. Um, yeah. And it was a very, very devastating, devastating diagnosis. Um, we didn't know what it meant. It was very scary. Um, and we ended up finding out f- about a week later that it was linked to a very more serious, it was basically a marker, an anatomical marker for a much, much more serious life altering um, d- disease and condition. Yeah. That um, would have, there were just, there were so many problems. Um, and the largest problem was that there really were like close to no pulmonary arteries connecting the heart to the lungs. Um, okay. And I couldn't imagine at the time of this diagnosis that it was not something that we couldn't overcome, like open heart surgeries, hospital stays, whatever it took, we were going to do it. Right. Um, and then when we found out that this this condition and this very, very serious disease that doesn't have a large life expectancy, let alone a quality, any quality of life, right. once we found out that that was there, um, the the best surgeons told us that you know, really our only option was to, to terminate the pregnancy. And, um, that's a reality that I never, ever thought I would ever be in. And many, many people supported us through this. And as you know, of course, some people did not. And, um, it was a hundred percent the right thing and the only thing to do. Yeah. It was something that happened to us, um, and to our son who was never born. So the last three years have been the hardest, darkest time of my life, hands down. I mean, it was, I've been pregnant. It blows my mind sometimes to say this out loud. I've been pregnant four times in the last three years. And my, my arms are, my arms are empty. Um, it's just so unbelievable to even think of it like that, but uh, my my journey to having my second baby was kicked off with a horrific diagnosis um, at 20 weeks of pregnancy, then resulted in a termination for medical reasons. I then had a very hard time getting pregnant, even though no doctors could figure out why. I ended up moving into the fertility world, which I knew enough about to know that it was going to be a very, very treacherous experience, um, especially if it didn't, didn't work right away and didn't give me that, that baby that we wanted right away. And I had no idea what was about to come. I, the pandemic hit, which is already hard enough for people. The pandemic for me was the least of my worries because I started, I was going to the doctor several days a week. I mean, it's like having a chronic illness. It it is a chronic illness. Being diagnosed with infertility is a chronic illness. Um, and I went to the doctor so many days a week, juggling the pandemic, juggling the uncertainty of all of that, the anxiety of all of that. I ended up needing, in, I ended up having four retrievals in one year, which is the, the so traumatizing on the body. You're going under general anesthesia. You're going inpatient. Yeah, you're injecting yeah. yourself with tons of hormones, mm-hmm. shots every day. It's it's the hormones make your mind so, so difficult, especially for people dealing with anxiety and depression like myself. Oh my gosh. And, uh, the most traumatizing thing about all of it is that I have nothing, I have nothing to show from any of it. Um, so my grief journey has been long. I ended up with getting, I ended up getting pregnant in September of, uh, 2020 during the pandemic. It was my second IVF transfer. My first IVF transfer was a negative pregnancy test. My second IVF transfer was a positive pregnancy test that was very, very shaky and was we were riddled with anxiety. And it turned out at seven weeks that I had had a 
silent miscarriage that we never really got to a heartbeat, which was devastating knowing what we went through yeah. to get those embryos to get to that point. Right, right. Then right away, this is how the system works. Right away, they turned me right back around to go in for my third retrieval. Um, and I had another transfer and I got another positive pregnancy test. This time they put me on blood thinners. We thought that would be the the key to the kingdom. My pregnancy was great. I graduated from IVF. I moved on to my OB. We saw a super strong heartbeat. We felt like this was our moment after all that we had been through, after all the suffering, all the hard work, all the trauma, this was our moment. And um, at about just shy of nine weeks, I started bleeding and I had a miscarriage at home and it was so traumatizing. Oh my gosh. Um, It was my first natural miscarriage and natural and miscarriage go hand in hand as kind of an oxymoron because they're, it it is natural, but when you go through something like that, it is, it's, it's, it's ungodly. It's inhumane, really the experience. I can't imagine. we, We mourned that we, we, we found out that it was a random chromosome abnormality, which happens at that time. I was 39 years old. I'm, you know, I'm not, I'm not a young not a young buck these days, but um, it was so traumatic and and just traumatizing that how how has everything gone so unbelievably wrong when we had every every chance for it to go right? The 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 hope and the lost hope and the trauma to the body has all been part of my grief. Oh my gosh! Um, and then I just went in. So I went in for a, a fourth retrieval in April of. 2021, just, you know, a few months after my miscarriage. And we went in for that retrieval thinking, you know, we'll just hope for the best. And it's all this hope and all this buildup and all these shots and all this sacrifice and all of this trauma. And uh, we had three good embryos and we were excited and we sent them for chromosome testing. And we got the call. We got the call that they all had multiple chromosome abnormalities. And so people that don't understand IVF, and I still don't understand, it's kind of the wild west of, of medicine, um, you know, they would think like, well, well, you know, maybe it's time to give up. Maybe it's time to stop. Clearly it's not working. But all of the doctors, all of the multiple opinions, they all say, no, it's, it's, you're, you have a great prognosis. Yeah. You have a proven uterus. You have a great, excellent prognosis, a good prognosis. And so- I just said, you know what, for now, for now, we have to stop. And so the summer came and went. And just days before my 40th birthday in August of last year, I found out I was pregnant. Not through IVF. And we thought, wow, this is it. This is fine. This has got to be it. Yep. This is our gift. Right. Like, yes. Our rainbow after all the rain. Yeah. And and rain, Allie, as you know, because you were there, five days after finding out that I was pregnant on my own, my first spontaneous pregnancy since I was pregnant with my angel baby, we had my 40th birthday, you came to visit, and we had a catastrophic flood at our house. I mean, it was like scary, you guys. I was there. Talk about trauma on top of trauma. Yeah. We had six feet of water in our lower level. Literally, it almost came up to her kitchen and we didn't think it was stopping. And it was really, really scary outside. People were like coming to her door, trying to like, they were stranded in their cars. I mean, it was a hurricane. It was the, what hurricane, hurricane was it? Hurricane Ida. Hurricane, hurricane Ida. Ida. It was, and she, and you have a, she has a creek behind her house. So it was right. like, a small you know, brook. obviously, right, small brook. So it was just her whole street. It was but I mean, I mean, the room that, that you, was so traumatic. The room that you were staying in, our 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 au pair suite has its own entrance to the outside. We call it the au pair suite, but no au pair because no baby. Um, but the room that you were staying in, where all your stuff was, had six six feet of water in the room. Yeah, thank God I moved all so my stuff when it started raining. <laughs> I was supposed so, to sleep there. Yeah, but, but yeah, like traumas but again, on top trauma. of traumas, yep. and yeah. and so you would think. At this point, you would think that we could, that we could be th- thrown a bone with all the grief, all the loss, everything that we've endured. And as we were cleaning up for, from the flood day after day, day in, day out, it was a 24-7 job. Um, about 
three weeks later after we had seen such a strong, good heartbeat and since after we had figured that we were really on our way, um, I went in for an appointment the day before I was leaving to go out of, out of the country on a vacation and there was no heartbeat. I just, I just remember like going through all of these moments with you. I mean, like just putting it together like that in a five, five minutes, it's like, so like it is, I don't know. It's just so surreal to me that someone would have to go through all of that. I can't imagine living it. And I just remember like when that last, when that last one happened, we were like, I think you had to text me or something there. It was just, you were so numb about it. Yes. You were just like, it happened again. Okay, here it is. Happened again. Like, and yep. I just remember thinking, oh my God, like what, what can I do? Like, it's so, I can't say anything. Like I, I came to see you and we've been trying to connect a lot more and obviously be there for you. But like, you were just... It was, it was just it was you, devastating. Yeah, that it was, was devastating. Yeah, that was really a moment. Again, when we talk about the dark moments for you, like there's so many to choose from. So many. And yeah. It's it's like being robbed at gunpoint over and over and over again. Yeah. You know, and, and you you really you really keep thinking like I'm the common denominator. Is there something that I'm doing? And we found out that that last one was a chromosome ab- random chromosome abnormality that is that is on par for pregnancy and my age, Mm -hmm. you know? And so you would think again, after that time, you would think, okay, well, you know, you would be a fool to try again. And what doctor is even saying to try again? And, you know, the, the science behind it, the way that the the body works and the monthly, you know, Mm -hmm. eggs and all that stuff, it's, it's on, it's, it's, I still, still have a really, really great chance of having a baby. So they say, but I'm supposed to believe that somehow, some way. And so my grief, my grief is deep. It's yeah. deep. It's not, it's not just grieving the loss of my angel baby that I carried for, right. for 21 weeks. My angel baby, his name was Dean. It's not just that. It's all of this grief, the lost hope, the lost dreams. So many people getting pregnant and having babies in the last three years and living the dream that I have not been given the chance to live. I have only been given the chance to live in this nightmare. Hi, healers. It's Allison here. So I want to tell you a little bit more about how Taylor and I got started with our podcast and The platform we've been using, which is Anchor, has been so user-friendly and so amazing. I just want to tell anyone else out there that is thinking about starting a podcast, Anchor is the way to go. First of all, it's completely free, so hello. Second of all, there's so many creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. It's crazy. I'm recording this right from my phone, and it literally just looks like the record button on your videos or your Instagram. So... It really is such a user-friendly platform, and the coolest thing is, is you can add any song from Spotify directly to your episodes, too, and the possibilities are seriously endless for what you can create, whether it's music analysis, your own radio show, or something the world's never even seen before. Anchor also distributes your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and so many other platforms, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. So it's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. And like I said, it's so user-friendly. I recommend Anchor. Go to anchor.fm to get started or the Anchor app. See you later, healers. Having one event, people people get confused. I was confused that, that you know, you have a loss and you grieve and you heal and you move on. But a lot of time grief is not around one event in my Mm -hmm. situation, even though this was the worst I could ever imagine it to be the, the years thing, worse things have happened to us. Um, although now I try to say that they've happened for us, but at the time they definitely have felt like they were happening to us. Um, and so 
the grief kind of continued on and the the healing was so stalled and it, it just it's been a very very difficult time well i mean essentially you're healing until forever right you're yes. just always healing yes um that's how i describe anxiety too and self you know our self love journeys like it's just a journey forever so yeah you know what i was thinking about thinking about you know the stages of grief there's the first is shock and denial then pain and guilt anger and bargaining depression lo- loneliness um something upward turn which is maybe you're like getting a little bit better reconstruction which i guess kind of is like rewriting the script of how you think about the situation and then acceptance and hope and not everyone really feels like they fall into these categories yeah. of the seven stages i mean it's not you know i don't i don't i don't even think that it's something that you can just say is like oh my god this is exactly what everyone experiences when someone dies these types of steps no um and this is from a, a psychiatrist named Elizabeth Kubler-Ross from um she's from Switzerland and in the 1960s she kind of did a lot of research on this um but i so like i can identify with some of those things and again not that it's you know going to be maybe every single like the first second third step like some people will experience depression like right away you know it's not like oh my next step is to you know they're just like depressed for a long time which I'm sure you can talk to yeah, but definitely um, the one the reason why i brought that up is because um you know the one part of when this happened for you that I think can be just another layer of grief for people that some people maybe don't um, experience that you did was the fact that this, the thing, how this happened, there was almost like you couldn't make sense of it. Like it was so random. Yep. Right. And you're just thinking like, well, you're asking the doctors, okay, well, what did I, was there something, did I eat something bad? You know, like I'm trying to be, you know, take my multivitamins. And you're just trying to figure out yes. why it happened. Yes, absolutely. That was, I mean, you know, just to to mention about the stages of grief, I have fit into all of those and more. Yeah. And when you go through a traumatic incident or a, such a loss like this, it, in terms of anxiety, you are so anxiety riddled because everything is so out of control that you're looking for something. So the stages of grief can be very deceiving because you think it's a, yeah. it's a step-by-step thing. You know, just like you said, one, number one, two, three, four, it's some kind of a checklist. It's not yeah. um, at all. You go backwards and forwards through those stages a million times over. Yeah. Um, and so it's, it is very misleading to people that are trying to find some, some ground in a very, gr- in a, in, in a ton of groundlessness. It's a very yeah. disarming situation. And yes, there's a lot of self, there was so much self-blame and so much, you know, trying to understand why this had happened and what had I done? I had to have done something to had ca- to cause this. I had like a few sips of wine early on in my pregnancy. Maybe that's what did it. Um, you know, things like that. And what I came to realize again, along the lines of anxiety, is that we think that maybe we have some control if we can blame ourselves. And that's a very, yeah. uh, that's a very, very risky road to, to go down because it really just perpetuates the grief and it perpetuates these false narratives in our head that we, the body's trying to survive. So it's trying to create these stories as a place to ground down. But what it's doing is it's creating these horrific, like almost self-loathing stories that you know, you're a bad person, so you deserve this. So you must have done this to yourself. Um, and it, it it can get really dark. And it did. It got, mm. it got really, really dark. Can you, do you feel comfortable talking about those times at all? About, I mean, you don't have to say anything yeah. specific, but like what it was like for you, like what did it look like when you had those dark times? You know, my situation was, I was so blessed and I was also so broken. I was so blessed to have a three-year-old son 
to really focus my energies on and to really just bask in that beautiful light and warmth that he brought every single minute of every single day. Mm -hmm. He was in preschool at the time, so he wasn't in school full time. He was still here around a lot and I was still needing to be a mom a lot. I really didn't have any help from family. Um, I didn't really have anybody who came and stayed with me in Connecticut. You know, a lot of my family is in Philly and um, Long Island, New York. And I didn't really have anybody who came and stayed with me for longer than maybe two days at a time, if that, three days at a time. And so, and my husband went back to work. He worked in, in New York City, still works in New York City. And so I needed to be there for my son. Yeah. Right. I was I was dropping my son off at preschool and you know it wasn't like the drop off line I had to actually walk him in days after having to go into the hospital for this procedure and, and uh, wearing my sunglasses in- I was going to say and 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 not to forget just for people listening to put it in context you were doing this and seeing people that had known you were pregnant so like talk about like re-triggering, like this had just happened. You hadn't even told. And by the way, everyone, this is the first time that Dorothy's telling her story. And like, I, I just, you're doing such an amazing job. And I just can't believe that you're really at this point where you feel like you're, you have the courage to like do this because it's been a really, really hard road. So I'm so proud of you. I appreciate um, it. And anytime you need a break, you can let me know. Um, but yeah, so just putting it that into context about like the triggering aspect of it, like you hadn't even told anybody really. And there's people that are probably even asking you, how are things going? Or like, you know, that don't even know about it. What are you supposed to say? I mean, it's the same, you know, it's, it's similar to when people, when people, um, it doesn't matter like what the death is, but when you experience a death in your life of someone that you love, and there's people that just you've seen, haven't seen in a while, and they're asking about that person or – and it's so raw to you. And it's like, oh my gosh, you know, I haven't seen this person in so long and I'm so devastated still. And it just like those emotions come up for me that what do you say? You're probably going to cry. Like, you know, d- you know, it's it's such a people – are, people are so uncomfortable with the death still in our society that they've – are so scared that they're going to say the wrong thing. So they don't just, you know, they're always thinking about. So I can't imagine that, yeah, that's a whole other layer for you. You're dropping him off and you have to walk him up and then people, and then, you know, so. Well, there's also people that I hadn't even told that I was pregnant. So that was the other thing. There were a lot of people that knew that I was pregnant, but I wasn't, it was the winter time and I wasn't really showing that much. So there were a lot of people that didn't know that I was pregnant. Mm -hmm. Uh, And but for the people that knew that I was, I mean, I, I had one, I had one person that I know I ran into her and she said, oh my gosh, you look amazing. You don't even look pregnant. Oh my gosh. And she didn't mean any harm. Of course. But yeah, that's like, you know, one, you never know. But right? like, I mean, honestly, that was one of the worst. I mean, oh to say it's one of the worst moments in all of that, it's not, it's, there were so many horrific, horrific, right. horrific moments like that where, you know, um, it was, it was, I talking about it is so interesting now because when I think back to really that time, I cannot even believe that I lived it. I can't even believe that I lived it. I can't even believe that I, I mean, I still, I'm going to get graphic here for a minute because people need to understand this. Mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody, this is what's so broken about our medical system. Nobody, talked to me about what was going to happen emotionally and to my body when I went from being pregnant to not being pregnant. Mm -hmm. Nobody talked to me about that. And so I was in full postpartum with the extra weight that I had gained with my milk coming in. Oh my gosh. With no baby to feed. Mm -hmm with no baby to hold. It was a really, really, really difficult, dark time. And people 
people, I mean, the outpouring of love from my community here in Greenwich, my friends, there's a group of girls here, a group of moms that I had formed. Actually, it's coming up on five years, the Wines Day Moms. Oh my um, gosh. They, they showed up in full effect. They showed up at my door. They dropped, I had something at my doorstep, you know, nonstop. Um, they helped with Nicholas. They showed up in full effect. But there weren't a lot of people that I had in my house just kind of sitting with me. You know, there's no mm-hmm. funeral. There's no, there's no viewing. Right, right, right. There's no. Right. Oh my gosh. There's no burial. There's no ceremony mm-hmm. around it. And I always wondered, you know, what it would be like to create something like that for other women that go through this. Cause at the time there was no way that I could really create anything. I could barely even brush my teeth, uh, yeah. or wash my hair. Right. But, um, but it really, you know, looking back people, there are many, many people that did beautiful things and held me in their heart and were just really there. And, and I felt their love and their, their support and their grace. And there were people, Allie, and I'm sure that viewers can relate to this and will relate to this at some point when they go through the dark night of their soul, as this has mm-hmm. been for me. There are people, important, significant people in my life that could not could not and would not go to the darkness of it and would not step into it with me So and, and would not hold me in it. So that's what's so interesting because I'm sure people listening when we talk about this will definitely relate to what I'm about to say. Um, cause I've been, I've been recognizing this as my dad gets really closer to death. The people that show up during those times are your people. Like it's so difficult to yep. process that there's certain people that just won't show up. And I don't mean like come to my door every day. I mean, actually like even just contact me or check in with me, see how I am. Um, Provide that feeling of being held. Yeah. Even if you, even if you don't know how to do it, everybody knows how to say, I like, everybody knows how to keep following up and keep checking in. Well, debatable, but okay. Right. Well, well, (laughs) Everybody, sorry, everybody has the access. I should say this instead. In this day and age with technology, everybody has the access, okay? 100%. Because you don't need to get into a covered wagon and and take your horse, you know, like for for 10 days to go see somebody who's ailing. Yes. You 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 can call, you can text, you can call again. Call 19 times. You don't even have yeah. you don't even have to be home in your house to place a phone call. You can call anywhere that you are. Yes. Uh, and 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 there were significant people that that did not do that. And and I say did not, but I also say could not. Mm-hmm. Why they yeah. couldn't and and why they have those kind of limits and why they think that, you know, that that's a you know, why they think that that's an okay um way to kind of be in a relationship with somebody who you love. I don't know, but my, my grief journey has to be more about coming to terms with my losses and with my grief than about understanding and being angry with other people for not, for not showing me that warmth and that love. So, so that's interesting. So before when you had said like, I talk about it now and I feel like, was that my life? <laughs> Did I actually experience that? That's a complete trauma response. Yeah. Right? It's like, it's like, how did I even, how did I even live? Yeah. How did I even how, live? You were surviving, right? Essentially. Yeah. yeah. Such a trauma response and you're totally working on trauma work, which yes. is amazing. Um, but also when we talk about grief, and how in the beginning we talked about grief doesn't just have to mean having someone close to you die. 
right? Grief also means the loss of something you love or someone you love. There's all different types of losses we experience in our life, which is why I think you were saying it's universal because we all experience losses. It doesn't need to mean a death. So in this case, you had just experienced a death. And then on top of that, you started experiencing other losses with people that you thought were going to be this like safe support safe support system arms right yeah and that 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 people that go through you know death really need that support system and then you were going through that loss of that and you're still going through some of that so yes yes what was so tell me about the anxiety around that that kind of stuff so my anxiety was really really high at this point um obviously with the diagnosis and leading up to you know, trying to get make heads or tails of what is what what it all is about, and then also we needed further testing to figure out what you know what caused this, and does this have to do with us? What does this mean for our future? What does this mean for building our family? There was so much anxiety around that because the tests take so long; it takes like three weeks for a test to come back. I mean, I, my anxiety was so high that I had convinced myself. Okay, I'm going to share this. I had convinced myself. That, that I had been living my entire life with this rare genetic condition that is, that is, a, that is not, a, it's not a recessive, it's not, it's not a recessive condition, meaning it's just something that you carry in your genes, but you don't actually have it. Okay. So this is a dominant, this is a dominant condition that we're talking about. So for it to be dominant, it would have, it would have meant that for me to have this, for me to have this, this issue with my genetic material, my genetic makeup, I would have had to be living with this my entire life. And it, it means like I would have had, you know, schizophrenia, um, like tons of immune, like complete, like immunocompromised, you know, I, I would have been immunocompromised my entire life. Um, all sorts of, oh my gosh, all sorts of really? long, long, long list. A, lo- a long, long, long list of things. So that's what the research said about about this about this particular this piece thing. of why this genetic right. piece right. didn't let the baby. Right. Okay, in ninety percent in ninety percent of cases where this is discovered in utero, in ninety percent of cases, it does not come from the mother or the father. It's random. Okay, so only in ten percent oh, of cases. Okay. So oh, you were convincing yourself that you I was convincing were the one. Okay. myself. That 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 I that I've been living my entire life right. with this disease that and I'm 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 you were- I'm part laughing and not to be insensitive but I'm part like laughing because this is how anxiety ridden my brain was when this was all happening and yeah. how desperate my, I was in my anxiety to pin this on something or somebody even if it was myself. And I was convinced that when these results, when this blood test came back, that it would say, yes, the reason that this happened is because you, Dorothy, you have been living with this secretly your entire life and nobody has known. Obviously, that is the most mm-hmm. irrational thing to think. Well, right. And You've I come to the point where you're, yeah. And cried. And my husband said to me, you know, you like, I'm sorry, but you're crazy. You are, you don't, you don't have this. You don't have this, like you. Right, right. You're not understand. You're not fully understanding this. Right. But trauma. But does essentially, that. but essentially, you were blaming yourself so much, and like the self, right? Like yes, the and blame creating of that. this reality. You were right? trying to, right? Yeah, and even though, and I don't know if many people understand, but even <clears throat> like you had this like narrative in your mind, you created the story in your mind about yep. that, right? Yep. Even though it was completely so much like self hatred on yourself, it still gave you some sense of control. Yes. Yes. Right. Like, so even like though I it figured it out, I figured yeah. out where it came from. Yes. So it gave you control, but you still like it's such like unhealthy way. Obviously, it's so much self blame and stuff like that. But there's still a little bit of control in there. Right. So if you figured it out, but right. So how did you move past that? So I moved past it when the call came in that the blood work came back from me and from my husband and shocker neither of this didn't come from either right, of us right, right, which yeah. everybody knew that all along but you know when when tra- when tragedy strikes and when trauma strikes the groundlessness of it 
is going to throw even the least anxious person, maybe somebody that's never even dealt with anxiety, which I don't even know who that person is. If you ever meet that person, let me shake their hand. I know. Probably they're not probably listening to this. No, no, they're not. They're not listening to this, but everybody (laughs) deals with anxiety in some way. Of course. The groundlessness of this kind of a situation where, A, your body, I mean, my body was directly involved. My physical body was directly involved with this. Unlike a loss and a tragedy where somebody else, something Mm. happens to somebody else. Of course, that's its own tragedy, its own trauma. But my body was involved in this. And so the way that I got past it, I not very well. I mean, it took me a long time. It took me, you know, months and years to really understand that the number one thing that I have to just kind of jump to it to cut to the chase with, because I have to say this for listeners, mm-hmm. because everyone is like, well, how do you get through grief? You know, what's the answer? Because that's what you want, right? That's what anxiety is. We want, we, we have to know, we have to know yep. right now. Yep. The brain becomes overactive and needs to know what's the way that I'm going to just get rid of this feeling and just make myself feel better. The, the number one tool that I learned early on with my therapist at the time, who I love so much, Sarah Jamison, I just love her. She taught me that when grief comes, the more that we resist it, the harder it's going to like crack us on the head. Mm-hmm. So, okay. So what does that mean? Right? So, okay. So not resisting it. What does that even look like? I, I mean, I don't even know. Ali, you knew me for, for so much of my life. We met when we were both 14 years old. This happened when I was 37. I have never I have never just allowed something, something that I don't like, something that doesn't seem right to me. I've always resisted it. I've always gone against the tide mm-hmm. in my in my TV career. You know, yeah. you're gonna you're not gonna book me on the show. Well, I'm gonna keep emailing you. I'm gonna keep calling producers. I'm gonna come up with a better pitch. I'm gonna keep getting out there until you book me on this show. Yeah. And so this is a very very hard thing to learn for people throughout their lives that have been type A and go-getters and really for anybody that doesn't, this, this does not come natural to people. Oh yeah. Just, just let something in that's totally uncomfortable and terrible and that reduces you to nothing and that makes you cry, that makes your, your soul cry and your body fall to the ground. Like just, just, yeah, I know it stinks, but just like, let it in, just let it in, let it, let it come and let it go. Just, just sit with it. Just sit you know, with sit it. with it. That now I actually say that to myself now, and I and it actually is helpful saying that. But yeah, initially, you know, before and there's some days when I actually can't either. I'm like, shut up to myself because I'm like, sit with it. Oh my gosh, I'm doing that, and I literally want to pull my hair out. Right. But yeah, it, no, it's so hard. Initially, it's like, well, how do I do that? How do I just sit with it? Like, I don't yeah. want to sit with it. You know. In fact, properly, yeah, I don't want it to be here. No, I don't want to. I don't want to. Like, I don't want to sit with it. Like, I want to be with, like, I want to be with my son. I want to be in yeah. my life. I want to be in my beautiful life. And, you know, I, I didn't sit with it. I, I still used those old coping mechanisms of doing and going and being with people and planning things and gathering people. You know, we went to distracting, distracting, to distract. distracting. Yeah. We went to Disney World. On Mother's Day that year, that so it happened in March, Mother's Day, May. Oh my gosh! We right. went to Disney World. It was really an SOS trip. That God bless my mother-in-law. She was a huge form of support throughout it, and she said, "You know what? SOS. I'm going to bro- book the Glam- Grand Floridian. You guys get the flights, and I'll meet you there. And let's go to Disney and let's do something fun for the weekend." And that mm-hmm. was a blessing, and it was a beautiful thing that she did on a very difficult weekend for me. Um, And I would say, actually, in bringing that up, what's funny about the Disney trip is that that trip on Mother's Day, that was the first time that I really actually understood what that meant to allow the grief, breathe into it, try not to resist it, welcome it in, cradle it, hug it, allow Mm -hmm. it to be. And then if you do all those things, then it will go. Um, so I would be happy to kind of share what that moment was and what that looks like, because in the time leading up to that, I didn't know what it meant. I, I, I would sit 
with myself and say, okay, well, I'm just going to let the grief, I'm just going to be with the grief. But my mind would be so overactive, like, well, what do I do next? Now, what do I do? Like, you know, what do I say to the grief? What does it sound like to talk to the grief? What am I supposed to be saying to the grief? My mind was so overactive with all of those kinds of things. And I was working through it with my therapist. Do you think that it was, that's like the way that your brain was working at that moment, it was sort of trying to protect you because the reality of what had happened was still so painful? I'm sure that that had a lot to do with it. And I also think that the anxiety of it all had so much to do with it because you almost, in your own grief, you're almost trying to control your grief. Yeah, right. In controlling grief. Right, right, right. Because you don't want, you don't want grief. Like I, you know, you don't, you don't want to be, you don't want to be at the ice skating rink with your six-year-old and your husband and watching them on the ice and, and sitting there and just crying and breaking down. You don't want that. No. Yeah. You want to enjoy like where you are, but like then these flooding, I'm sure like thoughts, but also like. I bet like whatever Physical stories reaction, we have right. or like visualizations that we we have in our mind of what would have been and stuff like that or right they come in they flood into your mind right you almost and like can't, you can't control you can't control that and you can't control like obviously it's if it's sadness and tears just come to you they come to you you can't control it and and yet there are a lot of inopportune times that those tears come more than those tears I mean breaking down for some people panic attacks. I mean, oh, yeah. you know, I, you know, at some point, maybe in a late, later episode, I'll, I'll talk about my version of panic attacks that happened much later in my grief process. But mm-hmm. for me, I was, I was lucky, not lucky, but one thing, you know, that I wasn't dealing with were, were panic attacks during this time, but, but I was dealing with this kind of unwanted grief. Is there any wanted grief? So actually there is. Really? Yeah. At the really? Time, That's very interesting. At the time, there was no way to understand that. Isn't all grief unwanted? When do we ever want grief? But, but no, there, right. there is actually wanted grief. And it is, a, it is a really beautiful, healing, peaceful, very humane place to be. And it's, it's part of the human experience. Um, wow. I can talk okay. about that in, at another time, but... Yeah. No, I um so I was thinking it's 47 mark right now. Um how much time do you have? I have time, but it's like it's a lot, right? Like there's a lot of different things. Well, no, because I was thinking I'm going to I might break this up into two parts. Okay. So if you have time still now, yeah. Maybe we'll I'll stop that there and then the whole next part can be like the healing part for you. Okay. Next week we'll drop the grief anxiety. How to heal grief anxiety? Yeah. Okay. That's fine. so. So, um, how do you, how do you want to wrap up this episode? I guess is yeah. what I should ask you. So, so we'll say. Um, let me think. I'm just gonna pause this for a second. Okay, that is so crazy that there's something called wanted grief. Like you would not think that. I don't that know would... if there is anything called wanted grief, but I'm telling oh. you, I'm telling oh. you and the listeners, maybe I coined it. There is a thing okay. called wanted grief. Oh my gosh. Okay. So <laughs> I think that we might not need to actually break this episode up because it's so good. And I think so many people are going to really resonate with this. So let's do, let's have you back next week. And we can talk about all the all the ways on how to heal grief, anxiety, and just move through grief and what it looks like and what you've learned. Because I know you've been through so many different types of actual like tangible treatments too. And I'd love for you to share that. Um, Absolutely. And kind of talk about when that turning point was. Does that sound good? Yeah. Sounds great. Okay. So tell everyone before you, I know you're going to be back next week, but tell everyone where they can find you if you want them to follow you on Instagram or whatever. Great. If, whatever Thank you, you want. Thank you, Allie. Yeah, yeah. My Instagram is Dorothy on TV. It's Dorothy with two O's, D-O-R-O-T-H-Y on TV. And you'll see my website link there as well, Dorothy on TV. So you can totally connect with me there. 
Love it. Okay. So we'll see you next week, you guys. Thank you for having me. Bye. Yeah, I'll see you soon. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.